Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for joining me. Today's topic is Satan. More specifically, what the Bible says about Satan. So what does the Bible say about Satan? That's what we want to figure out. That's what we want to that's what we want to study today. So uh, glad you're with me. And uh, this stuff to me is really interesting, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Got a lot to cover today. So uh, we are going to go through what the Old Testament says about Satan and what the New Testament says about Satan. So uh, glad you're here. Glad you're glad you're with us. So well, let's start in the Old Testament. What does the Old Testament say about Satan? The word Satan is in the Old Testament four times. It's only in there four times. It's a Hebrew word, Satan or Hasatan. Uh, and so there, that means two different things. Satan means accuser, adversary, opponent, stumbling block. Hasatan means the accuser, the adversary, the opponent, the stumbling block. So if it's Satan, it's Satan, it just means an accuser or a stumbling block or an opponent. If it's Hasatan, it is the accuser, the accuser, the one and only. Uh, so that is, uh, but the word Satan itself is only four times in the Old Testament. So we're going to take a look at each place that the word Satan is used in the Old Testament. Okay, so the four times in the Old Testament that it's used, we're going to start at Numbers 22, chapter 22. Uh, Numbers chapter 22, verse 22. So Balak, B-A-L-A-K, is the king of Moab, and he's afraid because the Israelites are coming out of Egypt and they are a giant group. And so Balak is afraid that they're going to come through, that they're going to destroy them that they're going to eat all their food, that they're going to take all their livestock, that they're going to take all their grain. And so Balak calls Balaam, B-A-L-A-A-M, uh, so who is a non-Israelite prophet. Uh, and he says, put a curse on the Israelites. So the Lord says to Balaam, Balaam, do not go do that. So he doesn't. So more men come from Balak, the king of Moab, and says, come, come and we'll, we'll offer you riches. So the Lord tells Balaam to go, but only do what the Lord commands. So the next day, Balaam gets on his donkey. We might have heard this story before. And head starts heading towards Balak, the king of Moab. While he's on the donkey, the donkey stops. The donkey won't move because the angel of the Lord is standing in its way. So the text says, verse 22, the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. That's what the NIV says. An angel of the Lord in the NRSV says, stood there as an adversary. The Hebrew word says, the angel of the Lord stood in the middle of the road as a Satan. As a Satan. As something uh, to stop the donkey. And so eventually, Balaam keeps hitting the donkey saying, let's go, let's go. Eventually, the, the donkey talks and says, uh, why are you hitting me? Can't you see the angel of the Lord right in front of you? Uh, and so... The angel of the Lord wanted to remind Balaam not uh, to only do what the Lord commands. So, in this instance, it's the word Satan or Satan, not Hasatan. So, it's just used as a word uh, for adversary, stumbling block, something in the way. Uh, so, that's the first use of the word Satan in the Old Testament. So, now let's get to Hasatan, the Satan. This to me is, this is going to get interesting. So 1 Chronicles chapter 21, starting at verse 1. 
Satan stood up against Israel and incited David to count the people of Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the army, Go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring me a report so that I may know their number. But Joab said, May the Lord increase the number of his people a hundredfold. Are they not my lord the king? Uh, Are they not my lord the king, all of them my lord's servants? And then should my lord require this? Why should he bring guilt on Israel? Okay, so Joab, when he uses the word Lord, he uses the word Lord for capital L and lowercase L, so that's kind of confusing. But here's, what's, here's what you need to know. You need to know that God did not want David to take a census. Uh, Exodus 30, verse 12, the Lord says, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give an offering slash ransom. Offering a ransom, it's translated differently, for himself to the Lord. When you number them, that there may be no plague among them with you when you number them. So what's this all about? This is all about that thinking of ancient cultures, if you counted something, you basically said that thing belongs to me, right? So you're counting something that belongs to me. God saw the people of Israel as gods. They were his people. They weren't King David's. So David had no right to count them. Israel didn't belong to David. Israel belonged to God. So it was up to God to command accounting. And if David counted, he should only do it at God's command and take an offering from everyone he counted. So Joab, surprisingly, knew they shouldn't do it. David did it anyway at the prompting of the Satan, Hasatan. And they count over 1.5 million people, or I'm sorry, million fighting men in Israel and Judah. So maybe 6 million overall. Later on in 1 Chronicles, this is where the bad news comes in. Chapter 21, verses 11 to 12. So Gad, a seer, came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, take your choice. Either three years of famine or three months of devastation by your foes while the sword of your enemies overtakes you or three days of the sword of the Lord, pestilence on the land and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now decide what answer I shall return to the one who sent me. Whoa, David took a census, and so now the Lord is punishing him, and he's letting him choose the punishment. Three years of famine, three months of being defeated by his enemies, or three days of the sword of the Lord going through the land. The text says David chose the sword of the Lord. He'd rather put his life in the hands of God than his enemies, and 70,000 people died, though Jerusalem was spared. This is the work of Satan. This is the work of Satan who rose up against the people of Israel. This is the work of Satan. He lied to David saying it's the, he made David believe something that wasn't true. It's okay to take a census. You'll be fine. And then death. Death came through Satan. Okay, so we're, we're through the first, uh, the first two instances where Satan is used in the Old Testament. Zechariah 3, 1 through 10. If you've been part of my Bible study, we studied Zechariah a couple of years ago. Zechariah is an Old Testament prophet. He had a vision of Joshua, who was the high priest at the time, standing in the presence of the Lord, and he is clothed with filthy clothes, with garments are all dirty. And Satan is there to accuse Joshua on seemingly solid grounds. Joshua was guilty of standing before God in dirty clothes, which for a high priest, you're not allowed to do that. He's, uh, Joshua is covered in filth because there's been no sacrificial offerings in the temple because the temple is destroyed. 
The people are just now returning from exile, and the temple needs to be built first before offerings can be made. Okay, verse 2. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a brand plucked from the fire? So here's what we have. Satan looks for reasons to bring people down. Looks for any kind of fault, any kind of way in. For David, it was pride. Count the number of people. Count your army. It's a pride thing, right? I want to know how many army, how many men I have in my army. 1.5 million. Wow, I can do anything, right? For Joshua, it was shame. Satan uses Joshua's shame against him, saying, yeah, you don't have a temple. You can't do a you can't give a sacrificial offering, so I am going to use this against you. Satan is the accuser. Remember, the word Satan means accuse. So Hasatan is the accuser, always wanting to blame others, to accuse others, to bring them down. In what ways do we accuse others? In what ways do we want to bring others down? We always want to blame others when things go wrong, don't we? I mean, this, this, this goes back to Adam and Eve in chapter three of Genesis. When Adam eats from the, the fruit and the Lord comes and Adam realizes that he did what he shouldn't do, the Lord says, why'd you do that? And, and Adam says, well, she gave it to me to eat. The woman gave it to me. It's not my fault, right? It's always about blaming someone else, accusing someone else. It's not my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. This is Satan accusing others, always trying to accuse others always trying to make people feel guilty, always trying to make people feel ashamed. So the Lord fixes the problem here in Zechariah by cleansing Joshua, by taking away the filthy garments and replacing them with clean clothes and a clean turban, it says. The turban was a part of the high priest's uh, garments, and on the front in gold it said, the holiness to the Lord. That was from Exodus 28. Uh, and God promised Joshua that you will continue to serve as high priest as long as you stay obedient to God. Even, even if you can't do offerings, I don't need all that, just obedience. So that's what the devil does there in Zechariah. And then finally, in, in the Old Testament, probably the one we're most familiar with, is Satan in the book of Job. In the book of Job, the first two chapters, Satan is a member of the heavenly council. Satan is one of the knights of God's round table, right? And they're sitting up there having a conversation. And it's Satan's job to create situations in which faithful people are tested and where God is able to see their faith tested in adversity. And so God gives permission to, to Satan to go and test Job with only one rule. You can't kill Job because it's hard to gauge his faithfulness if he's dead. So Satan adheres to these rules. And uh, I mean, in, there's an indication here that Satan is under God's control. He's doing all these things with God's blessing under God's control. There's no indication that Satan is doing anything here besides that which falls under his responsibilities as the accuser. This is all uh, Taylor, our old uh, youth director, well, our previous youth director. She's not old, but uh, she did a, a paper on Satan and Job and shared it. And just so a lot of this stuff comes from her. But it's really strange, this idea that God has given permission to Satan to go and cause suffering in Job's life, to take away his livestock to take away all his earthly possessions, and finally to take away his children, his family, to make this man suffer, suffer to the point where his wife says to him, just go curse God and die. Real suffering. What does that say about God? Now, I mean, it's, what does that say about Satan? Yes, but what does that say about God? That's tough. Okay, so there's three other places in the Old Testament 
where we can say they might be referring to Satan, but it doesn't actually say the word Satan. Genesis chapter 3, the serpent, right, that comes and tempts Adam and Eve. We all assume that the serpent is Satan. Isaiah 14, 12, uh, and after, how, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. And uh, further down, it says this, the day star wanted to take God's place, but instead was brought down to Sheol, the depths of the pit. So if you've been with us all week, you know that Sheol is the place of the dead, and the pit is like Gehenna. It's the, the hell part of the dead. And so this is where we get the story of Satan falling from heaven. And then Exodus 28 kind of talks about, some people think it's about Satan. I'm not convinced, but you're welcome to read it. So that's Satan in the Old Testament, the accuser, the stumbling block, the adversary. How about Satan in the New Testament? So we have this intertestimonial period of 350, 400 years maybe. And, and when we pick, pick up again in the New Testament, Satan's a little bit different. Satan's a little bit different than the accuser of the Old Testament. Now let's just start with the, uh, the temptation of Jesus. Jesus is baptized and then sent into the wilderness to be tempted. Tempted by Satan. So Satan in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, the Synoptic Gospels, tempts Jesus and makes promises to Jesus. Um, basically, and one of the promises is, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth if you worship me. It's kind of funny. Uh, you know those day calendars? Like, you know, you, you get a day calendar where every day there's a new one, you rip it off. Some of them have Bible verses on them. And one of them I saw has Luke 4, 6 to 7, which says, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Well, that's a really neat thing to hear if God's saying it to you, but it's actually Satan saying it to Jesus. And what's interesting is Jesus does not dispute him. Jesus does not say it's not yours to give. Jesus doesn't dispute him, which indicates that the authors of the Gospels believed that to be true. So somehow, over the course of the intertestimonial period, 350 to 400 years, Satan has gone from the accuser or adversary to the prince of this world. Big step, big leap. But everyone agrees. Everyone in the New Testament agrees that that is who Satan is. The writers of the Gospels, they don't, Jesus doesn't talk back to Satan and say, no, no, you don't have the right to give me that. Jesus himself in John, John 14, verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. The ruler of this world is coming. Jesus in John 16, verse 11, the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus clearly believed that someone other than God was the ruler of this world. We all believe that he's referring to Satan. What does the apostle Paul say? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. The spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. Paul believed that Satan was the ruler of the power of the air, whatever that means, but that Satan had control, that Satan had control. So somehow Satan goes from the accuser to the prince of this world. Okay, so a couple weeks ago, I did a theology of Star Wars. We talked about the force, and we explain what the force is by explaining what it does, right? The force binds everything together, and the force gives us Jedi strength and all those things. 
And this, we said the same is true for God. What we know about God, we know because God revealed it to us by first doing something, right? Dying on the cross. And secondly, by saying something, teaching us, right? So the same is true for Satan. We know uh, we can explain what Satan is by saying what Satan does. We can explain what Satan is by explaining what Satan does. And we don't have to explain it. Jesus does it for us. John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus said, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, his native language, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. He's a liar and the father of all lies. Okay, so two things here Jesus says that Satan does. Murder. A murderer from the beginning. Jesus was talking to the religious leaders who eventually killed him. He knew they wanted to kill him. He saw their hatred for him. They hated him so much they wanted him dead. He said, well, there's only, there's only one place that comes from, Satan. From the beginning, Jesus said. He could be referring all the way back to Cain and Abel, all the way back before that to Adam and Eve, knew, knowing that if he can talk them into sinning, he, they're going to die. So is Satan still busy today? Well, if you look back at the 20th century, there were over 100 million people killed in wars. 100 million throughout history. I mean, you'd have to put the number somewhere, maybe close to a billion people, right? Killed in war at the hand of another. Where does the desire to kill somebody come from? A murderer from the beginning. Satan. Think about 70,000 Israelites killed because David took a census. Because the devil, Satan, talked David into taking a census. And the father of all lies. The father of all lies. Satan is the great deceiver. The people of that time, the people Jesus was talking to, they rejected Jesus because he told them the truth and they didn't want to hear it. They hated the truth. They preferred their own version of the truth their own version of the truth. And you could see dishonesty in the world today everywhere, twisting the truth to fit agendas, twisting the truth to make it, to make it support what I believe, right? Sometimes just not even trying to tell the truth, but just saying whatever you have to say to, to make a deal done, to get a deal done, to get someone to support you, to get someone to whatever, right? Dishonesty is everywhere in the world today. It's like the truth now seems weird. That's the work of Satan, where the truth sounds like a lie. Where when Jesus is standing in front of you, you look at, you look at him and say, no, you aren't the Messiah. That's not the truth. So the work of Satan, according to the Bible, is to accuse, to make you feel guilty to make you ashamed of the things you've done, to make you feel small and insignificant and unimportant, to make you feel unloved, accusing you. Secondly, the work of Satan is to oppose goodness and faithfulness, to oppose what God is trying to do, the good things that God is trying to do by any means necessary. Satan is going to try and get in the way of every good thing that God is trying to do. Third, murder. Satan wants people to kill. Satan doesn't kill people. Satan wants people to kill other people. Whatever it takes, 
You look at Cain and Abel, 70,000 Israelites. You look at Jesus, billions of people throughout all of human history, through wars, through violence. That is the work of Satan, wanting one human being to take the life of another. And the fourth thing, Satan is going to encourage dishonesty in all forms. Make it so that the truth seems like it is false. Satan is going to encourage dishonesty in all forms. I have a four and a half year old daughter and I have found that children do not need to be taught how to tell a lie. It just comes natural. It comes natural to all of us to tell a lie. So that is the work of Satan. According to the Bible, and you can see, I mean, the Bible was written, Job was probably the first book of the Bible written some 3,500 years ago and all the way till now. And if we can look at what the Bible says about Satan, we can say that, oh, it's pretty consistent with what we see in the world today. People accusing one another, people judging one another, uh, people wanting to bring others down, people opposing goodness and faithfulness, people killing one another, people lying to one another. All, all the time, all over the place. So, um, big announcement. What people realize, don't realize, we say that Reformation Day is October 31st, 1517, right? That's Reformation Day. That's the start of it. That's when Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door at Wittenberg. But, I mean, it, it didn't take a lot of courage to nail it to the door at Wittenberg. I mean, it took some, right? Okay, whatever. A couple of years later, in April, Luther was called to the Diet of Worms, and he was told by the powers that be, recant. Recant, or you're going to be thrown out of the church. Recant, you're going to be killed. And it was this week, April 18th, 1521, that Luther stood uh, in, front of that, in front of that group and said, I can't. I can't. I, I, I can't take it back. This is what I believe to be true. And so this is the week, really, that we can celebrate Luther's courage. Because, I mean, to write something and post it on a, yeah, that takes courage. But once you get pushback, you know, are you going to, once you get pushback to the point of take it down, take it back or die. He said, no, 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 I'm not going to, I'm not going to take it back. Okay. So next week is Luther week 2020. Luther week 2020. So we are going to study Luther. We're going to talk about the history of it. We're going to talk about Luther's impact, Luther's legacy, Luther's theology. Uh, so we're going to talk about that next week. If we need more than one week, we'll we'll go into a second week. I've got some other stuff planned. Uh, we're going to do uh, the theology of C.S. Lewis. Uh, we're going to do, uh, and we're gonna, we'll talk about atonement theories. Maybe one day. I don't know. Atonement theories can get kind of heavy, and uh, sometimes they just we'll just go through them one one day. So okay. So Luther week is next week. Once we're done with that, we're going to go into the theology of C.S. Lewis, which is to me is really fascinating stuff. Uh, and then we'll talk atonement theories at some point coming up. So thank you so much for joining me. And we'll close with a word of prayer. Good and gracious God, we thank you for your many blessings. We thank you for overcoming uh, sin, death, and the devil uh, when you overcame uh, death and rose from the grave on Easter. Uh, we, we thank you for helping us in this life, for guiding us and protecting us from the forces of evil, and we pray that uh, you would continue to guide us and protect us. We pray that as uh, so many right now need your protection, that they would have it, that they, those who would be tending to the sick would be protected, and we pray for those who are sick, that you would grant them healing, that you would grant them life, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody have a great day. 
We'll talk to you all soon. God bless each and every one of you.